Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep, Nostalgia, by H.P. Lovecraft. This is uh, from the Fungi and Fungi from Yugoth Cycle. This is uh, volume twenty, or number twenty-nine in that cycle. There's thirty-six sonnets in the sonnet cycle uh, called Fungi from Yugoth. Um, I think this is one of the simplest ones. I use it uh, a lot with students because. I really enjoy I enjoy the story, um, and I enjoy thinking about picturing it. And if you don't mind, I will read it for us. I'd love it. Here we go. Nostalgia by H.P. Lovecraft. Once every year, in autumn's wistful glow, the birds fly out over an ocean waste, calling and chattering in a joyous haste to reach some land their inner memories know. Great terraced gardens where bright blossoms blow, and lines of mangoes luscious to the taste, and temple groves with branches interlaced over cool paths, all these their vague dreams show. They search the sea for marks of their old shore, for the tall city, white and turreted, but only empty waters stretch ahead so that at last they turn away once more. Yet sunken deep where alien polyps throng, the old towers miss their lost, remembered song. So, it's a sta- it's got two stanzas, 14 lines. Um, I think that's called uh, iambic pentameter, right? When it's got 10... Yep. ten I, I just say it's about 10 syllables per line. Because... I, I've never understood feet and uh, iams and all that very well, but I do, I can count. <laughs> I can count syllables. And uh, most of these have 10 syllables per line. A couple of them have 11. And uh, it's got like uh, three sentences, I think. And each of those is kind of a picture in my mind. Please, I'm listening. Uh, well, um, so, so one of the times I've drawn this, at least or twice i like physically draw it on the space above on the page because there is a space up there and um i picture these birds usually seagulls something like that although that doesn't make as much sense um (laughs) given given the um the migration i think that that doesn't make any sense actually but i picture them as seagulls and they're flying and they're going somewhere that they've been or know about they don't have a map and that's where that word inner comes into me the birds are calling and chattering in a joyous haste so they're going on vacation they're going to the place they want to go to reach some land their inner memories know rather than they've got an external and I, I think about that a lot like history is an external. So it almost makes me think of, you know, monarch butterflies. They somehow know to go places that they've never been before, but their their progenitors have been. And there's mm-hmm. this whole cycle. And then we get that picture of what their inner memories know, which is, it sounds gorgeous to me, great terrace gardens, bright blossoms blowing in the wind, mangoes luscious. Oh, boy. 
I'm, I want to go there right now. And temple groves with branches interlaced over cool paths. Wow, it's perfect for humans. Just think about how wonderful it would be for humans to visit this place, let alone birds. And yet, when they're flying out over the sea, looking for that tall, white turreted city, there's just water. And then we get a turn, which is, I think, pretty cool. Um, we've got these towers under the ocean now, deep. Alien polyps are thronging all over the place. It's pretty creepy. <laughs> and the towers miss their lost remembered song. And I think that there must refer mostly to what the bird's song was. That the towers yes. are regretful of the absence of the birds. And uh, usually when I draw this, I do the above and the below. The birds above, the city below. And above is their memory of the city, and below is the actuality of the city. And the, any people who lived in the city are forever changed. Usually I make the people uh, smiley in the memory and very unhappy <laughs> in the reality. I, yeah, it's it's an unhappy poem. I mean, the poem leads to a sense of of loss. The word nostalgia comes from the Greek, meaning the pain of home or homecoming. Mm. And the nostos home is also a word cognate with nest. It works beautifully with birds. Uh, one could, and I may be doing this because I see this in relation to another poem, mm -hmm. uh, this this is more or less what's known as uh, an Italian or Petrarchan sonnet um, the, that is the rhyme scheme and the, the fundamental structure of an octet followed by a sestet. Mm -hmm. um, That's the eight, eight lines and the six lines. Yes. Um, the... The norm, though, is for the sestet to balance the octet thematically, mm. whereas in the Shakespearean sonnet that uh, we are more familiar with in English, well, anyway, that it developed in English, um, you get three quatrains, um, four-line stanzas, followed by a couplet which gives a thematic reversal of what had been developed in the three quatrains. Um, because this particular poem by Lovecraft <clears throat> ends with a reversing couplet, yet sunken deep where alien polyps throng, the old towers miss their lost remembered song. Um, that reversal uh, makes this not entirely an Italian or Petrarchan sonnet, but reminiscent of a Shakespearean sonnet. And I think that people come to have a sense of where a sonnet is going to lead. I and mean, we don't have any doubt as we read the first, say, seven or eight lines of this, that it's going to wind up being 14. I mean, it just, mm -hmm. the structure feels that way. Um, the reason I call that a reversal is that your, your picture on the top, uh, which I can't see, but I'm imagining it, mm -hmm. um, that's of the inner memory. Yes. which, as I think you meant to imply, is a memory that none of the birds currently flying over the ocean um, have ever developed on the basis of direct observation. 
Mm-hmm. It's an inherited memory, like the memory of the first generation of monarch butterflies. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's that inner memory is not the same as a as a, a regular memory. You know, I I saw my wife earlier this morning, and and I can picture seeing her. Uh, that's a regular memory. Mm-hmm. But you know, my wife. Uh, on a pedestal, you know, resplendent. Um, I've never actually physically put her on a pedestal. That's an inner memory. Now, what we have here is the birds pursuing their inner memory. And every year, somehow, they are disappointed. They Mm -hmm. never find the place, which would suggest that the place isn't real. And yet, at the end, we find out that the towers regret not hearing the remembered song mm-hmm. of these birds, as if there really were once upon a time a connection that only only the towers, the the physical remains, can have. So the birds are personified, and the towers are personified. Mm-hmm. Take the natural and give it to the artificial. That's the reversal. Um, and, and, the, it, and then the nostalgia of the birds, who we assume are being nostalgic here, is actually shown to be also the nostalgia of the, of the city itself. Indeed. And what we have here, and this is so common in Lovecraft's work, we have something that even when there is only a single individual involved, um, is meant to stand for a large class. And it seems to me that we can understand this as if the birds every year in autumn um, are doing something that, that this is what people do. This is, you know, every time, every year when we get to that that falling time of the year, when we get to that part of the year that makes us wistful mm-hmm. and remembering the, our earlier strength, we, we send our eyes, our minds out over the vastness of the world, this ocean waste. And we're saying, yes, yes, is there something we're trying to, we want to grab it now, chattering in joyous haste, no, to reach their inner memories. I always had these ideals. I knew there would be such a place. And then I think about it in detail. Uh, But we never can find them. And we've got to go back or drop dead over the ocean itself. Hmm. But Lovecraft's poet tells us, those very ideals wish that they could have that joyous chattering, that hasty, vigorous approach that they remember. And the reason they remember it is because once they were built, that is, people did build those walls. They did make that city. And now the city realizes we're in a fallen time. And that sense of being in a fallen time for all of us. That's nostalgia. Mm-hmm. It's an unhappy thing. But if I may, I think whether Lovecraft meant it or not, this poem is a reply to a very famous poem. Which one's that? It's Sonnet 73 of Shakespeare. Mm. Okay, now I will point out – first let me read it, if yeah. I may. And then I want to point out some comparisons and contrasts. That time of year thou mayst in me behold 
when yellow leaves or none or few do hang upon those boughs which shake against the cold bare ruined choirs where late the sweet birds sang in me thou seest the twilight of such day as after sunset fadeth in the west which by and by black night doth take away death's second self that seals up all in rest in me thou seest the glowing of such fire that on the ashes of his youth doth lie as the deathbed whereon it must expire consumed with that which it was nourished by this thou perceivest which makes thy love more strong to love that well which thou must leave ere long thematically it's it's um, pretty similar oh my goodness is it ever um, it focuses on the birds it uses the birds as an analogy for the the fugitive youth and vigor of the speaker it is set in the autumn mm-hmm. the ru- bare ruined choirs refers to um, an abandoned church right that's that's what we've got this this now depopulated architecture it's the twilight of the day but we have two crucial differences here well maybe three one that this is focused on a single individual Mm -hmm. speaking to a single individual rather than the human condition although obviously Shakespeare understands this to be part of the human condition second this is a by definition a Shakespearean sonnet (laughs) not an Italian sonnet so for an English speaker it is if I may much closer to home remember what nostalgia is Mm -hmm. and third in the Shakespeare what we get is a gorgeous protestation of the importance of aged love because you know we are leaving and yet you love more strongly that shows exactly how much that love can be more important than the approach of death this thou perceived all of these senses of loss which makes thy love more strong to love that well that is me that person which thou must leave ere long because really I'm leaving I'm the one who's dying Mm -hmm. and this then these poems the two of them completely acknowledge that there is the autumn in our lives and that there are things we ideals that we will not be able to achieve but Lovecraft suggests that except from the standpoint of the abandoned underwater city um, perhaps underwater no one has ever actually had these ideals and so it's all lost remembered song mm-hmm. where Shakespeare suggests we had that in our youth and the loss of it makes our old age even greater where the italian or quasi italian sonnet of lovecraft replies to shakespeare it replies in a terribly disappointed way 
that justifies the notion of nostalgia, mm-hmm. where Shakespeare fully embraces the reality of decline, but sees love triumphing. And that seems to me that the two work together very well. Had I not understood both from their rhetoric and his external history that the Shakespeare came first, I would have thought that the Shakespeare was an answer mm. to the Lovecraft because the Lovecraft is is so grim, mm. and Shakespeare gives us a better, a more pleasing alternative. The fact that it came in the order that it did makes me wonder a lot about Lovecraft, and he must have known this poem. I mean, oh yeah, he's yeah. he's familiar with the classics. He, I I don't I don't know that he was specifically obsessed with this this sonnet but um he he was a big poet fan i mean he thought of himself as a poet before anything else um i, I also like the the distinction there, there are no real characters in nostalgia um there's no individual humans you know wanting things it's a it's a bird it's a set of birds and, and not a particular sets it's the birds right and yes. as you pointed out it's once every year so it's not just one it's not just one set of I, I don't think like one way of reading it I thought was that for many many years these birds had been visiting this island or continent or whatever um, and then one year it just wasn't there and I'm sure that was true at one point in their in their history but I think genetically they know we fly south we're going to get all these wonderful places to be and all this luscious fruit and then it's not there and they turn and it's kind of a disappointment um at the beginning it says once every year in autumn's wistful glow it's nice to think that autumn is also personified here right because autumn is wistful (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and wistful I, i was trying to figure out the etymology of it but um, you know, it's easy to figure out the things with full at the end, beautiful and uh, that sort of thing, as opposed to beautyless. But nobody says wistless, right? Um, but turns out um, that it's probably related to the word wishful, as well as sort of a feeling of nostalgia. And I thought that that was interesting, because it is the only other synonym for nostalgia here, and maybe in real life, right? I was feeling wistful thinking about those old summer camp things we did you know and um i don't know can animals be wistful um i i think what we may be getting here um i mean you you, you, can i certainly dogs can be wistful can they Uh, i mean Um, we we sort of look at them that way there's some good like Carl Safina's Beyond Words, that um, it's the title of his book, that talk about the emotional lives of dogs. And it may well be that, that animals can be wistful. But I think what we certainly can see is that we have here is an example of what's sometimes known as the pathetic fallacy, mm. is we're projecting the, in, the feelings of the viewer onto the right. thing viewed. When we say that the thunderstorm, the thunderclouds are threatening, Right. We don't actually mean that they are personified. It means that we feel threatened by them. Indeed. And when one says that once every year in autumn's wistful glow, it simply may mean that we feel wistful right. when we see an autumnal glow. Um, 
so we don't have to know that. I mean, I, I wouldn't fault Lovecraft for putting too much uh, personification on his birds. No. Um, and, and the other thing that made, I was thinking about when you were talking about um, earlier, when you were talking earlier, is in, in the season, um, my friend Mr. Jim Moon, uh, he, he's done this extensive study of Halloween. I just sent him a very early uh, Saturday evening post from 1927 that had a witch on the cover and a, and a jack-o'-lantern <laughs> because I know how much he's interested in and, and he's made me interested in the history of Halloween. It's something that uh, the popular media just is completely wrong about in many ways. They just don't do any research and he, he did all this research and and it's really interesting because Halloween is more feels like a more North American phenomenon you know and when you look into it it it's better documented here but it's it's kind of a wistful hopeful thing you go out dressed in a costume saying words you don't understand um and people become indoctrinated in it but nobody knows you know what it means or i mean i do because i i listen to mr jim moon's podcast but Nobody knows why they're doing any of the, why they're saying the words they're saying or what what it all means and you know how it connects to other days in in the fall calendar or anything like that but it's it's almost like a, a wishful hope and it might be one day I mean this is, sounds like a Ray Bradbury story right the kids dress up and they go out and nobody answers the doors right <laughs> what happened well they go out the next year they still go out the next year and then the ghosts are real because the children you know whatever it's something like that that, it's something like like that that, right he's he's really capturing um i mean this is a feeling that you see in a lot of lovecraft stories where he 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 has these ineffable places that he's never seen with his own eyes and and then that reverence for for architecture (laughs) that comes up again and again Shakespeare doesn't love architecture. He he has architecture only there for, you know, people to walk on the wall of the castle, right? That's the only purpose of that wall. Lovecraft w- loves describing what the what the marbles, you know, looks like and how uh, the crenellations and the gambrel roofs. So, we get two sort of different perspectives on reality and and uh I I like I like looking at both of them. Uh, Shakespeare's so humane and uh, funny, and Lovecraft's funny, but he's also he's cosmic, and uh, even in a story like this, that essentially it's just you know some birds want to go to Atlant- Atlantis and it's gone, but it feels deeper somehow. Oh, deeper than Atlantis. <laughs> it does feel deeper, but maybe it's just the romantic in me, Jesse. Um, I like a world where the individual is at least as important as the group. Mm -hmm. Lovecraft seems to be afraid of the individual and lives in the group. Um, And that to me is one of the big differences between, Mm -hmm. between the Lovecraft use of autumn and the fading of ideals and Shakespeare's use of autumn and the fading of ideals. 
Um, it, the, the cycle that he wrote, the fungi from yoga, mm -hmm. is a cycle of 36 sonnets. The sonnet form he's clearly picked up from, from predecessor poets. Um, he is mostly doing a non-Shakespearean sonnet, but he makes some slight modifications on the rhyme scheme so that it's not a pure Italian sonnet either. It's, it's his own. 36 is an important number. Uh, 36 is, um, for Jews, too high. Uh, 18 is the number of life. Um, 36 is the traditional number of exaggeration in French, the way in English you can say, I've told you once, I've told you a thousand <laughs> times. Or if I've told you once, I've told you a million times. In French, it's if I've told you once, I've told you 36 times. I'm hungry enough to eat 36 horses. Wow. It's uh, a line I've actually read in a French novel. Um, the 36 is not random. Uh, it comes from the fact that um, if you were to divide the sky over the course of this sidereal year, um, you would find that it comes pretty close to 12 lunations. That is, the, the months divide, it, you know, well, we now know, of course, 30, 365 and a quarter. But if you take the look at how long the month actually takes um, and try to fit it into that year, you get about 12, which is why in all the systems of the world that looked at the sky, you get 12 zodiac signs. And the ancient Babylonians who developed this recognized quite easily that if you were to divide that circle of the sky into 360 parts, you could assign a, a segment, you know, 30 degrees um, to each of the 12 zodiac signs. And that three, 360 works out very nicely for mathematics and for computation and so on, because it's divisible by two, three, four, five, and six, right? I mean, it's just a, a marvelous um, 360 is perfect. And that's why the 18 is the number of life in numerological systems, because you go from the greatest darkness to the greatest light, right? It's from the deepest winter to the height of summer by going across the circle of the sky. And 36 is the full, the full move, movement, either from light to light or from death to death. And I tell you, if I am correctly informed, this entire cycle of 36 poems was written between December 27th of 1929 and January 4th of 1930. Yeah, that sounds right. So... In one week, just after the winter solstice, the darkest time of the year, just past the celebration of the birth of Jesus, and just into what, what is marked as the um, secular new year, sitting alone, I, I picture Howard Phillips Lovecraft, uh, with his long head and dour face, trying to figure out how to fight against the darkness. And he comes up with a poetic form, which he does again and again and again. He brings order out of, out of darkness 
out of the incipient death by writing one sonnet after another and 36 of them together get him just back where he started we've done um, one other from this cycle previously uh, we did um, number 13 Hesperia which is uh, another one of my favorites there's a lot of them if we do this podcast long enough we'll, we might end up doing all 36 because <laughs> there is always more to say and remember you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for reading short and deep. Thank you.